Unfortunately, we are too rich and too well fed to really appreciate this story of Elijah and the widow from the first reading, that is in the book of Kings on this 32nd Sunday of Ordinary Time. We just hear, if we don't pay attention closely, that she was having a hard time and that he showed up and made it better. But we need to pay closer attention. In this story, she is gathering sticks to cook her last meal. Not only is she almost completely out of food, she and her son have obviously had no food for some time previously. Maybe they haven't eaten for a week or two already. This is the end for them before they literally die of hunger. Maybe in some parts of the world, people hearing this gospel very much understand what she is talking about. This is a really surprising scene because uh, Elijah comes up and asks for water and she tells him, well, I'm gathering sticks for my son and I to make one last meal, then we're going to die. And he says, oh yes, well, in addition to the water, please bake me a cake as well. And I have to imagine that she's like, hey man, I just told you I have the last bit of flour to eat my last little meal and then I'm going to die. And you want me to make you some food too? But she does. And in comes the divine mystery. Because she is generous, as it says, the jar of flour does not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, for a whole year. That is, because she gives, even when the request seems impossible, she lives. Or think about the other way around. If she would have said no, she would have died. Her unwillingness to share would have been the cause of the death and of her son. It is only by having said yes to Elijah that she actually lives. By by saying yes to sharing what seemed to be the last little scrap of food that she had, she actually has food for a year. If she would have said no to him and been, uh, quote, stingy, although that word doesn't seem right in this context, she would have had her last meal to her son. They would have had the last meal to themselves, and that would have been the end. But instead... Even in the face of extreme limitations, she is generous, and it ends up being bountiful for her. Later, today, in the gospel, we hear the same extreme generosity happening again. We have another widow who likewise gives all that she has, not what is comfortable to give, but everything, even to the point of seeming to give away hope. And yet, this is exactly where hope is found. The Lord plainly commends this radical generosity and expects it, expects it of us. This kind of sacrifice is extreme, you know, beyond what, what the normal expectation of sacrifice shows up again and again throughout scripture. To give beyond what seems reasonable and trust that God will take care of us. And yet, it is unfortunately necessary to say that the church has been suffering some time from an extreme lack of generosity. Now here you might expect me to talk about how much is going in the collection plate, and that certainly is a part. But honestly, the collections, that's never been the problem. And much the more significant problem is the failure to give literally of ourselves and of our families. I'm referring to vocations, to those things to which God has called us. Now, I do not accuse anyone of literally having crossed their arms and said no, although I do know of cases where it has happened. The reality must be acknowledged that the church is dying and in some places is just about on its last meal 
for having so long said no to the holy vocations of priesthood, religious and marriage, religious life and marriage. We used to have plenty of priests, really more than enough priests and religious, and pretty much everyone got married in the church and knew why that was important. But that is so no longer, and the church suffers. We've gotten used to it, honestly, so we don't even notice anymore, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. There may have been, you know, a few small rainstorms by analogy, but we are still suffering through a drought. The jar of flour is about to go empty. The jug of oil is very much almost dry. What do I mean? For example, every priest in Western Oklahoma where I am has two, three, or even four parishes that he is responsible for. He is stretched thin and exhausted, and no parish gets the time or quality of pastoral care that it deserves. Just as an example personally, I drive 1,200 miles or more per month for ministry. At the moment, because of weddings, funerals, and holy days, I have worked 23 days without a proper day off. And I guarantee you I'm not alone among my brother priests. This is not a complaint, just a statement of the reality. The jar of flour and the jug of oil are very empty. This is why, in her wisdom, the church has instituted this Vocations Awareness Week. In a way that should be every week, but this week in particular, we have been asked to focus on and pray for an increase of holy vocations in the church, priesthood, religious life, and marriage. Like the widow in the first reading, we do not have to actually die if we will but say yes to the Lord. That yes looks like being willing to give from our families for the good of the church. Yes, to give even your own children, that is your most precious, your last two copper coins, to encourage them to ask what God is calling them to do and support them in answering that call. To support the question of vocations, to that's what we've failed to do, really. We've ignored God's call, not maliciously, I don't think, but it's what's happened. We have failed to give failed to live in generosity to the Lord, and we need to make up lost ground. Just to say it in a practical way again, you know, my parish, if you look on the wall in the parish hall, there are uh, 11 or 12 priests pictured there. In 60 years, we have had one vocation from this parish. Now, I grant you that it's one priest does more than one parish in his lifetime, but still, we're behind the curve for how many priests we provided versus how many priests we have used. Same thing with you know religious sisters, maybe to help with the RE program. Everyone wants to have nuns in their school or in their at their at their parish, but where are the promotions of our own young ladies who might want to be religious sisters? We can't just expect to receive priests and religious and other people without giving ourselves, without giving of ourselves, like giving of our own family for other parishes and other places. But do not hear me that it, is just, that it is just about utilitarian service. This is not just about supplying a need, even though the need is great. No, it is about happiness and purpose. You see, one reason I think vocations are not encouraged is because parents worry what it will be like. You know, if my son goes to be a priest or my daughter goes to be a nun, will they be happy? Will I be happy? Yes, a thousand times yes. I mentioned earlier how busy I am, just as an example, but I'll also say that I only work that hard 
because I love it so much. I didn't work 23 days in a row just because I felt like I had to, but because the things that I was doing, again, funerals, weddings, you know, special solemnities, they're awesome and and 100% worth doing, and I love it. Um, So it's not about, uh, well, let me assure you, you all of us have our moments of heavy sighs and being overworked and tired. You know, ask any priest, ask any religious, we're like that. But also, ask any priest, ask any religious, we absolutely love what we do and couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I've heard over and over again from from families of those too that there was they were hesitant at first to you know to, to what it was going to be like, but over and over again, families are so proud, so joyful of their son or daughter who goes off to do something special for the church. In the scriptures, God constantly tells us of the rewards of generosity, both financial financial giving and the giving of our lives. He does not lie. St. Clement of Rome says, He who bids us refrain from lying is all the less likely to lie himself. God is not lying when he promises to return our generosity. When he gives us the example of the widow and Elijah in the gospel today, and she gives generously even when it hurts, even when it seems impossible, and then she has therefore food for a whole year. The Lord gives us that story as an example, as as a testament, you might say. He speaks the truth. If we give, if we are generous, if we receive him, then he will be generous even more so in return. Remember, that widow made one day's food, and she got 365 days food in return. So if you give financially to the collection plate, and please do, I guarantee your personal finances will improve. If you give joyfully to the church of your family, your family's happiness will improve. The jar of flour will not go empty, nor the jug of oil will not run dry. Suppose, though, you're still not convinced. I offer one final example. Look at the crucifix. Look at the crucifixion at Jesus' passion. He has already made a sacrifice first. God himself has already given his all to us. Therefore, who are we to withhold giving to him what is appropriate? If you're still not sure, think of the rewards of that sacrifice. Look at the resurrection. Exactly by giving himself up to death on the cross, does new life come from it. The sacrifice is the thing that makes for the new beginning. So, this week, but always really, let us change our hearts and minds to not only be open to the Lord's call for ourselves, especially for our young people, but to literally be proactive about it. Ask your children or grandchildren, what do you think God is calling you to do? In fact, we should maybe even drop the question of, what do you want to be when you grow up? And replace it with, what do you think God is calling you to do? On, on the one hand, it's a more realistic question you know, as Christians, because it's not about what do I want, which is kind of a selfish question really, but rather, what has God called me to do? What has God made me to do? And this is a sidebar, sort of, but it helps with the idea. I am convinced there are all kinds of people walking around who are unhappy because they are not in their vocation. I absolutely guarantee there are young people out there who are probably getting married or or really could be doing anything, all kinds of uh, things they might fall into, 
who should be in the seminary or, or in the convent, and they would be happier there. Now, you know, one called to priesthood or one called to religious life could have a happy marriage and a normal life, and that could be great, but they could be happier. They could be, rather, you know, if we know who God is and that he doesn't lie, if we pursue what he has made us for, what he has called us to be, what he's called us to do, we will be happiest in that. And so we know that God provides for his church. And so we're actually doing a disservice to not ask this question, to not encourage and support our young people in pursuing vocations, ones that we might not even have expected from them. Then we are, in a sense, giving them less than God means to give them. So let us make that a normal conversation. What do you think God is calling you to do? Let us give our support. Let us pray for them. Pray as a family together. Pray for yourself and pray for the church. Vocations may seem like giving up your last two coins, but actually it is the greatest gift.